Welcome to Managing Marketing and we're coming from downtown Shoreditch in uh, London and today I'm spending some time with Andrew Reeves who's the founder and CEO of ARC Consulting. Um, Andrew's a long-time agency CFO, COO. Welcome Andrew. Thank you very much Darren, it's a pleasure to be here. Look, uh, it's interesting being here in uh, what's the sort of feels like the new hub of uh, London creativity, Shoreditch. Yeah, <clears throat> used to be Soho, and I think in the last five years, it moved spectacularly towards Shoreditch, which is where all the best best gigs are from an advertising perspective these days. Well, probably also because of the real estate cost, isn't it? Soho well, became quite expensive. Yeah, it certainly did. And I think Shoreditch was at one stage uh, one of the cheapest parts in town, £34 per square foot or something. But as soon as the marketing folk have moved in here, they've done it all up to suit the marketing folk and it's gone through the roof. Literally, it's gone from about £34 per square foot to about, 60 in the last uh, year. And look, the reason I bring that up is because uh, one of the things I wanted to really discuss today and have a bit of a chat is uh, the role of finance and accounting yeah. in the creative industries because it's one of those areas that people have really quite diverse views on. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in the industry for about 20 years and it's funny because even working for some of the big brands like WPP which is uh, headed by one of the most astute financial people in the industry, finance and operations always seems to come way down the chain in terms of priorities for owner-managed uh, creative businesses. And that's one of the issues, isn't it, is where does the balance uh, get struck between running a sound business and investing in things like creativity, which, you know, if you listen to some people, I say, oh, it's impossible to manage the creative process. But they're still businesses, aren't they? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think uh, it's funny, the amount of times that I've been to agencies and they talk about it being a creative business, but the business element of it is the weaker part. And as an industry, we pride ourselves on the creativity. We're not very good at the business side. And I think that comes from uh, both in terms of how we look at our clients' businesses, which is uh, why we're in business in the first place, and the input that we have and the impact that we have on their top line and bottom line, as well as how we run our own businesses. I just don't think we're particularly uh, astute at it. You know, our, our preference is always the creative side, which is building something and evolving something uh, for the sake of it to, to a large extent, as opposed to the uh, impact it makes in terms of making hard um, bottom line cash. That's because uh, you know the advertising industry and the underlying business models changed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years. Sure. Because back in the uh, media commission days, yeah. with commission and service fee, you'd have to be pretty much of an idiot not to be able to make profit. Yeah, uh, I think that's a really good uh, observation and a good starting point. I think that's what happened throughout the years, that there was so much money um, awash back in the day that we took our eye off the ball in terms of how we manage that and how we look after it and how we grow it. Uh, and as we moved from the commission uh, system where we were 
industry was making 25%, 30% margins easily and still having a nice lunch on the back of it uh, to, to a system where uh, that uh, level of profitability and how we manage it has changed. Mm. Well, because um, talking to um, Michael Farmer, he yeah. says back even in those days, even, although they were profitable, they were incredibly lazy business people because yeah. you talked about 25, 30% margin. Yeah. He was saying in some cases the actual profits were tiny yeah. because they weren't managing the cost of the business yeah. because it just seemed like this uh, flood of money coming in in media commissions. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think back then the flood of money obviously... Uh, trained the businesses to become lazy and that certainly was an issue at the time there was always enough money despite how um how um relaxed they were about controlling the costs effectively they didn't and then i think what happened after that is we, we developed a new model which was the resource-based model which made it um, probably even easier because effectively the, the, the money came in as long as you had the people in the business. I can't think of a better business model if you bring in people and you sell them with a profit then the more people you bring in the more money you can make so there was a very safe period there. Yeah but it's a cost recovery model isn't it? Yeah, yes. while, while you're talking about, uh, talking about people and making sure, but basically you have a base cost, yeah. you have the overheads, yeah. and then everything on top of that should be profit, right? Correct, correct. And that was the, that was the uh, labour-based uh, pricing model at that time. But isn't that also lazy? Yeah, I mean, really, because lazy. you're not actually... You know, how many other businesses, and especially other professional services businesses, would work on things like a 2.4 or 2.5 multiple on direct cost. Yeah. And even at the earliest days of moving from commission to service fee, yeah. or to uh, resource fees, yeah. that's the sorts of multiples. I mean, yeah. uh, law firms and accounting firms, still some of them were working on four and five times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a, a incredibly easy model of being able to make money. You've just got to make sure that you're able to provide the right level of people at the right time, and you are guaranteed your cost recovery and a profit margin. The other thing about this market is the advertising category, isn't it oversupplied? Yeah, so I I think coming from the resource base model, I think. Um, and the industry being so, uh, you, you think about it, you think about the dynamics of an advertising agency and you think about uh, the pricing model in the first place, but you also think about the setup of an advertising agency. It doesn't take much, and I don't think it ever did take much to set up an advertising agency. You need a, a, an office to work out of and you need a telephone to contact your people, and that was about it. You needed the right people around you, so the barriers to entry were very, very... Um, very low. low. Yeah. So you have almost you, any idiot can set up an advertising absolutely, agency. Absolutely. And, and most do. do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And I think, uh, uh, and that obviously spurred the entire industry of uh, uh, independent uh, hotshot creatives, in particular, that would go off and uh, try and create something. Um, I think the motivation there was that the, it was easy to set up. If you got it right, there was uh, lots of riches to be had. Uh, you would create a, uh, uh, one or two client profiles, and at some stage, you would be able to be uh, uh, sell your wares to a network uh, provider and make a lot of money. 
But isn't that counter to what the industry actually sells its clients, which is strategy and creative ideas, which they're basically selling on an hourly basis? Yeah. Isn't that a bit like selling a book by the pound? Yeah. Yeah. Or the kilo, yeah. or the the book yeah, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. Absolutely. how much it's does a meter the book yeah. service? How it's much does the book weigh? Yeah. Oh, therefore, it's yeah. a much thicker Irri- book. It, I'll charge you more. Irrespective for it. of the content that's in there, yeah, that's right. It could be you know a shopping catalog versus. Um, I mean, look, you know, I mean, if one more person, tell, a creative person, tells me the Pablo Picasso story about being asked to draw a, a picture, and he did it, and he said that'll be ten thousand. Euro and the woman said, but you know, it only took you 10 minutes. And he said, yes, but it took me 30 years to do it. And I go, yeah, great, except you charge by the hour. Yeah. You know, a client can come into any agency and basically go, what do you charge an hour? I'll buy 30 minutes of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I, I think, uh, and so I look at where we are today in terms of an industry, and and that whole model has screwed us. It's screwed uh, the advertising agency, clients aren't happy, people aren't happy, agencies aren't happy, and the um, uh, parent companies, holding companies, aren't happy either. When you're going through a lazy pricing structure and it's easy to recover your costs and it's easy to recover your profit and make a profit, then the ability and creativity that you have in terms of your own business goes through the floor. And so in Innovation goes through the floor, and the um, the aptitude towards your client's business is completely irrelevant. You know, if you're getting paid by the hour, it doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. You get paid a benchmark rate, and and uh, you're making as much money as, as as the guy who's absolutely the Picasso of his industry versus um, you know somebody who's just starting out. Um, so I think that has all kind of come round to a certain extent. I think in the last five years, in the last 10 years, the, uh, the pressure is on the agencies, quite rightly, to be able to deliver. Uh, we've been under pressure in terms of resource-based pricing for a long time. We haven't been able to figure it out. But clients know who's good and who's not good. Clients know whether or not they're going to, uh, if it's worth their while to spend money with one agency versus another agency. Agencies are having to become more innovative in terms of their approach. Yeah. They're having to invest in specific areas. You know, there's agencies, if I think of um, uh, this particular agency that we're sat in uh, today, uh, Darren, it is a digital agency. It, it, it has evolved out of uh, the, um, the need for uh, clients who are looking for something quick and something uh, consistent and something that is uh, um, uh, it deals with the uh, internet side of the marketing, fast turnaround email communications. Yeah, but let's be honest, um, there's a thousand agencies available in the marketplace. Isn't, isn't one of the biggest problems that the industry faces is that you know on the basis of supply and demand, it's oversupplied with a category of agencies that are poorly differentiated or even you know significantly distinctive from each other, which has turned it into a buyer's market, and that agencies themselves are not equipped to be able to negotiate the value that they bring to the relationship in the face of a procurement team that are incentivized in most cases to reduce that cost. Well, there's two issues there, right? There's the issue of being able to provide value in the first instance. Mm-hmm. 
right? So what is it that you do that is different and unique to your competitors? And how do you genuinely provide value to your clients? Yeah. Are you helping them grow their revenue? Are you helping them cutting their costs? Because that's what value is at the end of the day. And, and how, as an agency, are you doing no, that? No, no, no. It's um, producing unique ideas that are going to be game changers <laughs> in the category that will completely revolutionise and win some awards. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds cynical. Yeah. But seriously, yeah, that's have, the way the market plays out. Yeah, which is nuts, right? If yeah. We have disappeared up our own, you know, wherever. But because for 30 or 40 years... We didn't have to worry, as an industry, we didn't have to worry about value delivery. Right. right. You know, whatever the client spent, a certain percentage would go to the agency. And sure, you know, I think we've lasted, what is it, 15, 20 years on a resource based model, and the wheels have fallen off. Yeah. No one's willing to admit it. Yeah. But it's got to the stage that most agencies have to find other sources of okay. income to yeah. make it... Well, that's not sustainable either, Darren. So, look, we are a resource-based business, or in another uh, way of putting it is we're a talent business, right? So the talent is the most important thing that we offer to our clients. However, we've become more and more squeezed over the years in terms of our ability to provide that talent, and the talent isn't coming to our uh, sector anymore. Because if you're a graduate and if you're smart, where's the last place... You'll go to a technology company. You, absolutely. With a big startup VC funding. Absolutely. And you're not going to come to the likes of here. And so we have our talent and our ability to deliver that value is going through the floor alongside that. Because we're not getting the talent in anymore. We can't afford to pay them. And there's a... a Okay, so you brought up talent, yeah. And one of the um, the Academy Awards yeah. were on just recently, yes. and uh, Hollywood yes. is all about talent. People yes. make a lot of money actually promoting talent and making them desirable. You know, some of the biggest names in Hollywood yeah. just being in a film will guarantee it box off success. Yeah, and there's a whole business about trading. Yeah, on that talent, yeah. the ad agents and managers are all in Hollywood, yeah. maximising the cost of accessing that talent because they make their 20, 30%, yeah. right? The advertising industry doesn't do that, do they? No. They actually try and hide that, you know, they have awards for the creative people that only creative people care about. Yeah. But in actual fact, making that relevant to clients is never been part of the deal because the fear is that suddenly those creative people and those strategy people would be out of the control of the agency management. And it's happened. I guess it's happened. You've got people, you talk about some of the agencies that uh, were set up in the good years. It was a lot of people who, who it was the talent who, who went off and did that. Um, so, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Um, it's a double-edged sword to some extent. You, you've got to be able to promote and look after your talent to be able to do uh, uh, the right thing for your clients. But because we're in an industry where the talent become, uh, 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 there's a risk of the talent becoming more important than the business, then you've got to manage that um, reputation and that, and, and that um, support for the talent as, as you go. Yeah, you know we're a business. It's not about any one individual. It's the business has got to be able to deliver against our clients' uh, objectives first and foremost. But if it's a talent business, then yeah. it is about individuals. Yes. Yes. So we're turning talent into a commodity. Um, yeah, yes, I think. Um, I think 
the business performs best when the talent is freed up to do what they, they can do. Mm -hmm. If you put talent into a factory and you ask them to do uh, um, backflips for you under duress, then the talent will not perform. Right? Right. And I think we've created factories amongst our uh, agencies that have, um, that have fundamentally uh, uh, restricted our ability to provide to work together and come up with genuine creative solutions that helps clients' problems. Uh, so, so you're right. It is absolutely a talent uh, uh, issue, and and the the longevity and the root of how you manage the talent is everything from how we get paid and procurement involved in screwing us, so we can't afford the right uh, talent or. Or, or, or us not being able to negotiate, or whatever it is, but fees within our business being too tight for us to be able to give and promote our talent to do their job. And I think that's, when I look back at my career in creativity, it's probably one of the things that is, is the uh, uh, saddest thing that's happened, because we have kind of affected this factory-orientated advertising that is no good for the client and it's no good for the talent, and that talent find other routes to be able to go out and do their thing. So there's two uh, streams here. One is uh, the holding company, which I'll come back to. Okay. Because the holding company really only appeared in the form that we see today around 90, mid 90s. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that we're seeing now is the consulting firms, the big consulting firms, yeah. moving into the very territory that agencies used to have. Yeah. And are they what you know? What have they identified about the gaps? Because um, consultants. Yeah, management consultants move into the areas where they see unrealized value sure. as a way of making money for themselves. Sure. What do you, what do you think they're seeing in the current landscape that's made this territory really attractive for them? Uh, I think it's probably a couple of things. I think um, I, you can't let go of the fact that the talent isn't as what it used to be in advertising compared to how it is in consulting. So when we talk about those grads leaving and going somewhere where they're better looked after, consulting is still a highly uh, uh, revered uh, uh, area to be. Mm -hmm. you, you, you'll get paid a lot uh, more money, you'll get a, a better partnership structure, you're amongst other intellectuals that allow you to grow and continue to grow. And you'll still work 80 to 120 hours a week. And you'll still uh, work your fingers to the bone. Yeah. Uh, but you'll get paid three times more than uh, we will. I mean, if you look at the consultants, uh, design is probably one of the first areas where the consultants have gone into design consultancy and uh, if you if you go to uh, one of the established consultancies they will still charge you three to five times more than what an advertising will charge you for a piece of brand consulting mm -hmm. you know a piece of work that arguably the uh, advertising community should be a better place to do but we've lost credibility well or do you think it's also because um, the industry started talking about value and yeah. delivering financial performance to clients but have not been particularly good at either committing to that or proving the value that they create whereas business consult management consultants feel that they are much better positioned to do that uh, it's a good observation i think the holding companies um, i think the holding company's uh, treatment of value is is um, it's, it's, it's um, certainly more 
from a communications perspective. The holding company's entire MO evolved from being able to create and buy uh, communications companies that could provide an entire communication strategy for uh, clients. Uh, and I think their, the holding company's um, proposition is, is embedded within communications. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think uh, communications as a discipline is something that has had a hard time and CMOs and their longevity is something that's had a hard time and I think that's been a big part of the picture. Whereas consultancies don't focus on a communication problem, they focus on a business problem. Yep. So I think the, the consultancy's ability to, the, to provide uh, added value is a broader uh, framework. And so, you know, the old adage, if you've got a hammer, every problem is a nail. That was part of the value proposition problem with uh, holding companies and communications companies. Clients got bored of hearing the same solution for all of their problems. Yeah. And I think the consultancies were better articulating. And also, the consultancies have come from the top down. They, they were in the talking to the CEO and the CFO, Correct. identifying the business problem, coming up with the strategy. Now all they're doing is moving into, here's the implementation and execution. Absolutely, absolutely. And the advertising agencies, I think at one stage, back in the Mad Men days in the 70s, the, uh, were, were business, when, when you think about business, it's about selling stuff, right? It is, a, most businesses are marketing businesses, right? They have to, you know, to survive, uh, no matter how good you are at being able to engineer something or manufacture something, at the end of the day, you have to sell it, right? So in the 70s, marketing was the business solution. But because uh, over the years, we turned marketing into the coloring in department, we lost those relationships with the uh, uh, CEOs and the CFOs. And, and you're absolutely right. The consultancies own the business problem with their clients and are able to impact that far better than we can. So now we've seen some of the larger agencies move or try and move into the consulting area. You know, and I'm sure you've read, as, um, as I have, uh, you know, some of the bigger uh, agency names have set up consulting Absolutely. Um, but they're not, they don't seem to get the traction, do they? No, because I still think the credibility is, is uh, versus the consultants, the credibility will never be there. They, they, uh, an advertising agency can go in as a consultant, but it will only ever be consulting and communications. Whereas, whereas a consultancy can communicate on the broader brush, but can implement any one of those disciplines as they uh, as they see fit, and hence why you've got consultancies uh, stealing our lunch because they can they can and it creates lock-in for them as well. They can create a. An integrated strategy that may have an element of pricing, distribution, but also communications, and then they can plug in a solution, uh, an implementation solution that allows them to uh, deliver against that as well. Remember, the consultants were always accused of just uh, stealing your watch and telling you the time. Right? <laughs> yeah. that, that that's been the big thing with consultants. Whereas now they can actually, uh, you know. Uh, uh, steal your watch and they can uh, 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 set the time for you and set the measurements in there and be accountable for it. And hand you back a digital watch <laughs> from the winding up watch that you used to have. You can evolve. So you feel you're all new. Uh, but one of the things agencies used to rest on their laurels and say, well, these consulting firms will never be able to attract the type of talent right. 
the we attract. Right, the creative. So the, the creative Picasso's. People. And yet, um, don't you think that's changed because the talent coming out of universities or just in society. Now look at all of these as valid options. I mean, tech startups are not advertising agencies, yeah. but they're yeah. seen as a lot cooler yeah, 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 than yeah. an advertising Yeah, agency. no, I, I think, uh, um, I think, you know, uh, uh, people who come to advertising agencies are very creative and and uh, and they want to do something non-corporate. So I, 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 I struggle hugely with the concept that consultancies will eat our lunch over time because I don't think they have the right culture. But tech, you know, other industries, oh, absolutely. They will, have, they will attract the same mavericks and the same bohemian and the same creative types that advertising used to. And, uh, and, and it, I think there's a, a point of convergence at some stage because creativity and communications is, is uh, as much as about coming up with a big, you know, what is the big idea? Yeah, so I think that's where the consulting firms will be able to attract that creative talent because they're also closely aligned to the technology companies. So they're yeah. investing in those technology yeah. companies, the same technology companies that are seen as a viable non-corporate environment yeah. for this creative talent, yeah. but it's going to be attached to a consultancy. Probably. Time will tell. Mm. You know, we take the Essentia Comorama deal that was yeah. recently done. Uh, it's, a, it's everybody's bated breath waiting to see what happens. On paper, it is fantastic. Yeah. Or will they kill the fatted pig? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back now to the point I made before about holding companies, because yeah. I know you've worked in holding companies. Yeah. And let's not talk about any one, because I think yeah. they're all in the same boat. Sure. I know they'll argue that they're all different, sure. but largely they're all the same. Sure. Um, the, the rise of the holding company in the 90s. So yeah. interestingly, because it's around the mid-90s, the yeah. technology, the internet, yeah. started becoming you know something that the public could use yeah um, where do you see the end game of the holding companies not the uh, beginning game, the uh, end game. it's it's a really interesting question because the holding companies are dominated there's a few of them now and they're dominated by individuals and those individuals uh, at some stage uh, need to move on they, they, you know well we've already <laughs> so had a couple of them announced a, that we, they're we, uh, moving yeah, on absolutely and I think that's I think that is a huge challenge because it's the personalities of the individuals that make those holding companies what they are mm -hmm. and, the, and the personalities are huge. So, um, uh, and it's, it's odd to think that a company is, is driven by the personality of that individual and once they leave, where does that leave them? So I think that's a problem. I think um, the whole holding company thing has, is now 40 years plus, uh, they've got to a level uh, and uh, their, their ability to continue growing at the rate that they did is under pressure. I think that not least because of the, uh, the individuals who are running them, but I think that because of the uh, pressure that they have put under their businesses over the years. The model in the first place, when you talk about the, uh, the beginning of the holding companies, the model was in, in the first place to be able to integrate like-minded uh, propositions and cut out back office. You're talking about IT, finance, those kind of things where you can make some uh, big money. So in the early days... Or big savings. You could make big savings yeah. uh, without tinkering around with the uh, the actual product and uh, uh, make money. Then as you evolve from savings, there's only so far you can cut and they cut everything out. 
the uh, next step that you need to uh, that, that you need to evolve is the proposition and so you buy you know uh, you go from, you buy complementary goods mm. you buy uh, you go from advertising to direct marketing to media to uh, research to data to tech mm -hmm. right so 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 they have uh, created these um, monster businesses that have all of these different disciplines in place and all of these disciplines in their own right at that time were the zeitgeist of the day but how you evolve that structure and make it relevant to the client is really really difficult mm. so you're looking at holding companies now mm. that have all of these expert uh, um, skills uh, in different structures that I can imagine are really difficult for clients to access, which is why the holding company structure has now broken down those silos that initially made them the individual brands and the businesses that that they were once uh, uh, valued for mm. has broken them all down and is now creating horizontal client-led structures which have become you know. Um, uh, for want of a better word, have become uh, hom hom homogenous and vanilla. Yeah. And yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they yeah. did invest in vertical integration, yes. you know, yes. the the end to end solution, yeah. and yet we've had uh, and I'll name them Ogilvy and Publicis have yeah. all come out with this idea one of the, the one P and L yeah. that goes. Uh, horizontally, as you say, yeah. right through all of these different entities. Yeah, that's right. And yet it sounds almost counterintuitive to the business model of why they acquired. Yeah. And a lot of these agencies were acquired by funding, you know, debts yeah. against the equity that they held. Yeah. In fact, there's a couple yeah. of there's a couple of people that are industry, industry observers, financial yeah. observers, yeah. that say debt to equity ratios for some of these holding companies yeah. are ridiculous. But what happens to the equity once you've bought a business and then you change it and you make it vanilla? Because the equity, if it's it's written off, isn't it? It's yeah. gone. Um, so I, I, so that's really interesting. You, you know, uh, you're you're now the parent companies. They're now uh, they're having to break down structures that they built over time, uh, and partly because of cost, because all of those structures have created had had their own management cost structures, and they need to break them down. You talk about publicists and Ogilvy in particular. That's uh, a, a massive overhead. Well, I think Havas as well are moving yeah. down the same. Yeah. You know, there in their case, they call it the village. Yeah, you know this idea of villages of yeah. agencies working as one against a client, single client PML. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so it's not so, just, it, it's so, not isolated. No, no, no. This it's not isolated. Trend. And it, it's 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 predicated on two bases. One in the first place, the right thing for the client. Give me one point of contact that allows me to solve, and we're back to business problem, mm -hmm. not just my advertising problem, or, or you know because um, because. Um, you know that structure in itself has will create uh, uh, silos that don't work in terms of the overall uh, business structure. So you've got to create a single structure that allows you to look back at the business problem. So that was the first reason, and the second reason, obviously, is the cost structures within those networks are just too heavy for today's com competitive landscape. Now, as a um, as a finance person yeah. and as someone that knows the uh, advertising industry business, yeah. There's way too many agencies in the marketplace. Yeah. But if someone was starting an agency today, mm -hmm. what would your advice be? Would you say don't do it, <laughs> or would you say do it? But this is this has got to be the end game. 
I, I would, I'm an agency man through and through. I would always say do it because it's a, fa- a fascinating industry and I think uh, there's, there's opportunity now for uh, smart uh, startups to beat the networks because they're, they're not, you know... Right up until the point they acquire you. <laughs> In which case... And put you on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, and obviously that's why many people do set up their own agency. But I do think... Be- time and time again. Uh, time and time again. And we never learn. Uh, I, I do think the if I was to uh, set up an agency today, uh, the the structure would be uh, a much leaner structure, and it would be uh, focused on the business uh, problem. It would have a high end level of strategic input in the first place, as opposed to creative, which is again understanding who they're trying the, the customer base in particular, who they're trying to attract, and how they can drive more sales, because that's what marketing is all about. And then uh, bolster it with with uh, a team of, of people that are genuinely um, multi-channel, you know, the, the people who are able to deliver solutions, multiple solutions, uh, that will help achieve those strategic goals. And if you were doing that type of, you know, you could build that type of agency, what remuneration model would you recommend? A cost recovery okay. model? Certainly not a cost recovery model. I would love to recommend uh, an outcome-based model because obviously if you're able to uh, um, get some uh, skin, in the, skin game. in the game, thank you, that's what I was looking for, uh, then that, that has you perfectly aligned. Uh, and I'm, I wish we had the tools and the measurement capabilities to be able to demonstrate the input that we have on our business towards uh, our clients' uh, results. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. I know passionately that without going back to all businesses are marketing-led businesses, I think I feel passionately that the level of input that uh, uh, an agency can make on a client is phenomenal. And I think if you were able to bottle that and measure that, then uh, we're off to the races. But I think it's really hard. Uh, and in the absence of that, and in the context of cynicism, which is where we're operating today, I would move towards uh, an output-based model in the first instance that talks about and uh, talks about a client's business uh, objectives, mm-hmm. looks at a suite of um, activity that needs to be done to achieve those objectives, and gets paid for that suite. Mm-hmm. And, and every uh, so often, once a month, once a quarter, we look at what the business objectives are, and we, we uh, tweak what we're delivering against that objective in terms of the scope of work in particular, and, uh, uh, and we make sure in, in particular that that scope of work, those activities, those communications, are delivering against that uh, objective. And so, you know, that type of model requires yeah. having a marketer client mm-hmm. that is actually aligned to business objectives. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of agencies say to me that their clients just do not, are not in a position to be able to articulate what the desired outcome is. They're I wouldn't work for any of them. Well, and that's what I say is that if they can't do that, then don't work for them. But of course, in a market where you know um, you're going after any piece of business that works through the door, suddenly they're compromising the very thing that could differentiate them. Absolutely. Which is being about performance. You know, Absolutely. Actually, aligning yourself to delivering Absolutely. value. Absolutely. I don't know how you get around that problem because it is. A, it's a, again, it's an industry problem in terms of the seniority of our clients. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I think uh, it's very well to turn around and say, don't work for them. But I think, um, you know, you, 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 where you have mouths to feed and you've got to put uh, money in your pocket, I think there's... Or mortgages to pay, uh, mortgages or business to pay. loans, or overdrafts, Absolutely. or any All number of, of things. Or All expense accounts. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, for the heavy lunches in uh, uh, in Soho, I think um, I, 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 I I think that if you're going down the route of a, a output based remuneration, that actually you can still do that. Because uh, I'm not precious. I, my my uh, the philosophy of advertising is we should be able to help uh, grow our clients' business. But there is another side of it, and that's to help them save money. So in, in, I'm not precious whether or not I'm aligned in, uh, uh, to uh, the specific outcome. As long as the client is clear to me what they want. Mm. Now, if, if they don't want me involved in the business strategy, either because their um, CMO isn't respected to that extent and hasn't got voice or authority, then fine. Tell me what it is that you do want to achieve and be very clear with me and I will help you achieve that. It may be um, speed to market, it may be cost savings, it may be some other thing. So, What is the problem that I would bring value absolutely. to the equation absolutely. by delivering? Absolutely. And in my ideal world, I'll help you grow your business, but in the absence of that, I will help you achieve your objectives. But, uh, you know, Andrew, you realise you're sounding so much like a business person and not very much like an advertiser. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're just passionate about the fact that uh, advertising has a role to play in creating business value. You started this interview, this uh, conversation with the role of finance people, and I think this is one of the things that we have missed because I am passionate about it, and I am passionate because I've seen us as an industry make so many mistakes, and we get carried away and we get distracted with the shiny things over here, there, and wherever and I think that we are as a thing my background as an accountant is business is that we need to up our game from a business perspective so so that's why I'm passionate about it because I can see the opportunity I can see the capabilities that we have we just need to do it better so uh, we're running out of time but I've got one uh, final uh, question for you and that is um, over the years, I'm sure you've had to sign off on some interesting uh, account management and creative uh, expenses. What's the, uh, let's say, most controversial one you've ever signed off? <laughs> <laughs>